With that, Mr. President, I yield the floor. Don't do it, Senator. It's a trap. From Pacifica Radio in smoky Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. In Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota on AM 950 KTNF. We are also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, Radio Sputnik, and many other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and internet. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Let me start with, uh, well, wildfires continue to rage out here in Los Angeles. We are, uh, to those who have asked, we are so far safe and sound here in Hollywood. It is uh, a little smoky, but uh, most, uh, most of that smoke is currently being blown out to the coast by these incredible winds. Uh, we will have more on these fires and today's raging winds up to what, 80 or 90 miles per hour? Yeah, almost uh, almost hurricane force. Yeah, really? It's bad. Um, and for the first time, they're using uh, the color uh, the color purple uh, for the extreme winds that are going on and the extreme wa- uh, fire danger out here in Los Angeles. We'll have more on that in our Green News Report with Desi Doyen coming up shortly. A few good news headlines to start the day. Uh, they won't last. Don't worry. After a long fight by the uh, by the nation's so-called conservatives, the Australian Parliament today approved same-sex marriage. Finally, welcoming that country into the community of civilized nations. In that regard, so there's some good news. In South Carolina today, there was finally some accountability for violence against the uh, against the black community by white police officers as the cop who shot and killed unarmed black motorist Walter Scott from behind uh, Charleston uh, police officer Michael Slater. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison, plus two of of supervision, supervision after being found guilty of second degree murder in the civil case following a criminal case in which he had previously been acquitted. So some accountability there. That's it for the good news today, I think. Uh, Sorry. Sorry. Uh, Now for the less good news, another shooting at a high school today, this time in Aztec, New Mexico. That left two students and the suspected shooter dead, according to authorities. 
Uh, still unclear what exactly happened there, but the school of about, uh, let's see, 900 students was cordoned off as authorities uh, cleared the campus and teens were lined up and marched out with their hands over their head uh, to another location in this now all-too-familiar scene. Aztec is a rural community of about 6,500 people in the heart of northwestern New Mexico's oil and gas country near the Navajo Nation. But the uh, the big story today, of course, Senator Al Franken, Democrat of Minnesota, announced his plans to resign today on the Senate floor. Franken has been accused of uh, sexual misconduct, various accusations since mid-November when a right-wing radio host claimed that he had forcibly kissed her during a rehearsal for a skit in which he had agreed to be kissed by him uh, during a, a USO tour years before he became a senator. Since then, several women have come forward to allege that Franken touched them inappropriately while posing for pictures at photo ops. Most of those women, however, have kept their names off the record, so it's hard to judge. Uh, an unnamed woman reported to be a former Democratic congressional staffer on Wednesday charged that Franken tried to kiss her after uh, her boss had appeared on Franken's radio show back in 2006 before he was elected as Minnesota's junior senator in 2008. Franken, who has otherwise been very popular and beloved by his uh, Senate colleagues, says he either does not recall the incidents claimed or remembers them very differently than they have been reported by the women, though he has apologized for all but the but the latest report, which led to a tidal wave of fellow Democrats in the Senate this week calling for him to step down before the inv ethics investigations uh, into the matter, which he himself has called for. He called for that after the first reported claim. He has fervently denied the uh, the latest incident, the incident reported on Wednesday, describing it in a statement as preposterous. Nonetheless, with the quickly growing pressure from fellow senators in his own party calling for his resignation yesterday, by this morning, Franken took to the Senate floor to announce he had planned to step to step down. Uh, in the coming weeks, here is some of his remarks today from the U.S. Senate floor. A couple months ago, I felt that we had entered an important moment in the history of this country. We were finally beginning to listen to women about the ways in which men's actions affect them. The moment was long overdue. I was excited for that conversation and hopeful that it would result in real change that made life better for women all across the country and in every part of our society. Then the conversation turned to me. Over the last few weeks, a number of women have come forward to talk about how they felt my actions had affected them. I was, I was shocked. I was upset. But in responding to their claims, I also wanted to be respectful of that broader conversation. Because all women deserve to be heard and their experiences taken seriously. I think that was the right thing to do. I also think it gave some people the false impression that I was admitting to doing things that, in fact, I haven't done.
Some of the allegations against me are simply not true. Others I remember very differently. I said at the outset that the Ethics Committee was the right venue for these allegations to be heard and investigated and evaluated on their merits. That I was prepared to cooperate fully and that I was confident in the outcome. You know, an important part of the conversation we've been having the last few months has been about how men abuse their power and privilege to hurt women. I am proud that during my time in the Senate, I have used my power to be a champion of women, and that I have earned a reputation as someone who respects the women I work alongside every day. I know there's been a very different picture of me painted over the last few weeks, but I know who I really am. Serving in the United States Senate has been the great honor of my life. I know in my heart that nothing I have done as a senator, nothing, has brought this honor on, on this institution. And I am confident that the Ethics Committee would agree. Nevertheless, today I am announcing that in the coming weeks, I will be resigning as a member of the United States Senate. I, of all people, am aware that there is some irony in the fact that I am leaving while a man who has bragged on tape about his history of sexual assault sits in the Oval Office, and a man who has repeatedly preyed on young girls' campaigns for the Senate with the, with the full support of his party. But this decision is not about me. It's about the people of Minnesota. And it's become clear that I can't both pursue the Ethics Committee process and at the same time remain an effective senator for them. Let me be clear. I may be resigning my seat, but I am not giving up my voice. I will continue to stand up for the things I believe in as a citizen and as an activist. But Minnesotans deserve a senator who can focus with all her energy on addressing the challenges they face every day. There is a big part of me that will always regret having to walk away from this job with so much work left to be done. But I have faith that the work will continue because I have faith in the people who have helped me do it. I have faith in my colleagues, especially my senior senator, Amy Klobuchar. I would not have been able to do this job without her guidance and wisdom. And I have faith, or at least hope, that members of this Senate will find the political courage necessary to keep asking the tough questions, hold this administration accountable, and stand up for the truth. And most of all, I have faith in Minnesota. And whoever holds this seat next will inherit the challenge I've 
enjoyed for the last eight and a half years being as good as the people you serve. For a decade now, every time I would get tired or discouraged or frustrated, I would think about the people I was doing this for and would get me back up on my feet. I know the same will be true for everyone who decides to pursue a politics that is about improving people's lives. And I hope you know that I will be fighting alongside you every step of the way. With that, Mr. President, I yield the floor. That was Senator Al Franken from Minnesota announcing his plans to resign his seat in the coming weeks today on the U.S. Senate floor. Minnesota's Democratic Governor Mark Dayton is likely, uh, is believed likely to tap Lieutenant Governor Tina Smith, also a Democrat, to replace Senator Al Franken, uh, who uh, announced his resignation today, according to a report in the Minneapolis Star Tribune, citing a high-ranking Democratic source in a statement released after Franken's decision was announced. Dayton said that he had yet to make a decision on Franken's replacement. An appointee replacing him would serve until a special election next November when voters would decide who serves the remaining two years of Franken's term. So that means there will be a uh, an election for the U.S. Senate, two elections for the U.S. Senate in Minnesota in November in 2018. Minnesota's other senator, Amy Klobuchar, also a Democrat, is up for re-election in 2018. Peter Segal of NPR had a few words about Al Franken today on the Twitters in a Twitter thread. He adds, with no opinions or judgment as to the accusations against him, his guilt or lack thereof, or the wisdom of his resignation. Segal said, uh, as is well known, Franken was close to Paul Wellstone, devastated by his death in 2002, upset by the loss of his seat shortly thereafter, and decided to try to win it back. As is less well known, he moved back to his home state, Franken did, of Minnesota in 2005 and started laying the groundwork for his run for the Senate by getting to know issues and people in Minnesota politics. He held hundreds of meetings, dinners, listening sessions. So by the time he ran in 2008, he had won the support of the Minnesota Democratic Farmer Labor Party via hard work. He wasn't a dive-bombing celebrity, says Segal. He was a legit candidate and then narrowly won the election. Then, for six years, he kept his head down and his mouth shut and went about the work of being a senator. He drove journalists crazy because he wouldn't give them quotes. He never made jokes. And he cruised to re-election in 2014. And thus, says Segal, he became a model of how a celebrity should pursue politics. He respected the trade of government so he learned it first and then practiced it. We can think of counterexamples, says Segal. So um, Desi Doyen, he says he's going to uh, resign in the coming weeks. Does that mean it's final or uh, is there something that could happen between now and the coming weeks that might change Al Franken's mind? Sadly, I believe that Franken is going to stick with the decision that he's made. That seems to be in character for him. And, you know, again, I, I already said this yesterday. I think that this is that the, what he is accused of is quite different from actual sexual assault and actual abuse of power. But 
obviously he has chosen and the Senate Democrats have decided that that's not good enough and they're not going to wait for any kind of ethics investigation. So here we are. Yeah, here we are. And, you know, I have uh, we haven't spoken a lot about this. Uh, I've had concerns. I had concerns about the initial charges that came out. Uh, from that radio host, that right-wing radio host, uh, b- claiming that he kissed her inappropriately during a rehearsal of a kiss, a sketch in which he was uh, to kiss her. Um, I was actually looking forward to the ethics investigation doing their work, bringing her in, bringing these other uh, women in who have accused him of uh, much less. I mean, frankly, uh, being at these at these photo ops and right. touching them uh, inappropriately. Somebody putting their hand on your waist during a photo op. You know, I, I would like to have heard more detail about what was actually there and what actually happened, because it does not seem to rise to the same level to me. Done but. in front of a bunch of people, done in front of a camera. That seems a lot different than when many he of wasn't the claims. even a senator yet. Well, you know? he, whether he was or wasn't, it seems a lot different than many of the claims that we have uh uh, heard about others. You went down the list yesterday. Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, uh, Matt uh, Lauer. People who actually, like, you know, raped folks. Well, uh, or alleged I'm to sorry. have uh, raped You're right. folks. Allegedly but, raped folks. But uh, as, a, as a power move, uh, using their office, using their power for these things, doesn't make any of these things, these uh, claims against uh, uh, Al Franken, less important or less serious. But... There are questions about them, and I always uh, believe in investigation. And uh, unfortunately, now it looks like we will have no investigation, that Al Franken will resign in the coming weeks. Um, so, uh, But who knows? Maybe there's still time for Democrats to figure out whether or not they have fallen into a trap and uh, somehow change course here. That seems unlikely, but it would hardly be the first time that they've fallen for such traps. Even this week, even over the past week, on everything from policy to politics. We'll take a quick break here and we'll come back with my guest, Gaius Publius, to talk about exactly that on both policy and politics. Um, uh, and the media and the, uh, the deficit trap that Republicans seem to be laying once again for Democrats and the Democrats once again seem to be falling for that and the Green News Report and much more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Pick up my guitar and play Just like yesterday We'll get fooled over and over again, particularly Democrats. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A few days ago, our friend Sam Cedar, progressive radio and podcast host of the Majority Report and Ring of Fire, was unceremoniously fired from his role as a contributor at MSNBC the day after a far right-wing provocateur and fake news specialist by the name of Mike Cernovich dug up a 2009 tweet of Sam's and used it, used it to suggest that Cedar was somehow a supporter of raping little girls. The tweet was uh, Cedar's original tweet from 2009 was in response to a debate at the time over Oscar-winning film director Roman Polanski, who had just been uh, arrested in Switzerland in connection with a crime 32 years earlier here in the U.S. when Polanski had pleaded guilty to unlawful intercourse with a 13-year-old girl. The original charges in the case included sodomy, drugging, and rape, but Polanski managed to flee the country before, uh, before his sentencing. His arrest back in 2009 in Switzerland brought that whole debate back up, uh, or at least we'll call it a debate of sorts, among uh, some, I should probably say very few in reality, who felt that the attempt to punish Pulaski after his 30-year self-exile to avoid accountability, that that was excessive and I guess should have been measured against his record as a great filmmaker or something. Well, Cedar jumped into that fray at the time on Twitter back in 2009 to note clearly, satirically, that, quote, Don't care, re Polanski, but I hope if my daughter is ever raped, it is by an older, truly talented man with a great sense of mise-en-scene. It's a film term used to describe cinematography, though it was obviously a, a satirical quip at the time. It sat there for some eight years without notice, until Cernovich, this right-winger, isolated it in a post-headlined, quote, MSNBC contributor Sam Cedar endorses Polanski's sex crimes. Endorses Polanski's sex crimes? The headline was in order to blast Cedar and the cable news network by charging that the media, quote, won't say anything because Sam Cedar is one of them. MSNBC took that bait from Cernovich, the guy behind the spread of the so-called Pizzagate scam before the election, which charged that Hillary Clinton and John Podesta ran a pedophile sex ring out of a pizza restaurant in D.C. And earlier this week, MSNBC said they would be cutting off Sam's contract as a contributor thanks to this tweet taken out of context by this right winger. MSNBC was blasted for that from many quarters, including by their own primetime host, Chris Hayes, for the absurd decision. And the good news today is that they actually reversed course. As Ryan Grimm reports today at The Intercept, progressive radio and television personality Sam Cedar will be offered his MSNBC contributor job back, and he plans to accept. After initially caving into right-wing Internet outrage over the tweet, MSNBC reversed its decision to not renew Cedar's contract. Cedar said in a statement, quote, I appreciate MSNBC's thoughtful reconsideration and willingness to understand the cynical motives of those who intentionally misrepresented my tweet for their own toxic political purposes. 
He says, we are experiencing an important and long overdue moment of empowerment for the victims of sexual assault and of reckoning for their perpetrators. I'm proud that MSNBC and its staff have set a clear example of the need to get it right. MSNBC president Phil Griffin said in a statement, quote, sometimes you just get one wrong. And that's what happened here. Grimm notes that Cedar's Saga echoes another incident, almost uh, as old as Cedar's original Polanski tweet back in 2009. In 2010, the Obama administration, you may recall, had moved swiftly to fire Department of Agriculture employee Shirley Sherrod after right-wing provocateur Andrew Breitbart had posted a video of a speech that she made to the NAACP. But the administration did not wait to see the full speech. They just fired Sherrod out of hand. The out-of-context clips that were posted by Breitbart appeared to show so-called reverse racism, but in context, once the uh, full video came out, turned out her speech was about growth and compassion. Institutions respond to both incentives and pain, writes Grimm at The Intercept today. And MSNBC clearly thought the most pain-free approach was to cut ties with Cedar and move on. But the move brought tremendous fury down upon them from their own viewers and employees. As the story was picked up outside of the media and uh, liberal press, MSNBC must have realized it had bigger problems on its hands, so it reversed course. Now, the uh, MSNBC is not the Democratic Party, but they do act like them. Too often, running scared and frankly uh, reacting uh, based on fear of well-coordinated right-wing fake news nonsense and attacks. I'd argue that the uh, turn by dozens of Democratic senators against Al Franken on Wednesday in response to allegations of sexual misconduct before any actual investigation of those charges, many from unnamed and dubious sources, that that is an example of exactly that running scared. And I would say there are many others, both on politics and on policy. They seem to constantly be scared of what Fox News and Breitbart and other right-wing operatives will say about them. And they seem to preemptively cut off their own noses to spite their own faces against Republican right-wingers who just laugh and laugh and laugh at all that nonsense and have no plans to change their own behavior arguably far worse in many cases in response. Just asked uh, a sexual assaulter turned president Donald Trump or accused child molester perhaps about to become the next senator from Alabama, Roy Moore. But it's not just on politics. It's also on policy as well, where Democrats seem to run scared. Joining us now to discuss all of this today is our friend Gaius Publius, which is actually the pen name for uh, our friend and longtime blogger and professional writer and contributor to a number of our favorite progressive publications, among them Digby's Hullabaloo, Howie Klein's Down with Tyranny, Naked Capitalism, Truth Out, Alternate, and many more. Gaius Publius, sir, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Thank you so much, Brad. Glad to be here. When I originally booked you uh, today, Gaius, uh, it was about your article at Down With Tyranny this week, headlined, Deficit Talk is a Trap. Will Democrats Fall Into It? And I still want to talk about your arguments there. 
uh, because I think it's very important. But since you uh, since you published that piece, it seems a lot has happened uh, that I think, at least, is of a piece with your policy argument on the deficit. So I'd love your thoughts, and Desi, feel free to jump in here as you like as well, okay. uh, on everything that has happened this week uh, with Al Franken and with Sam Cedar uh, and the Democrats and MSNBC, etc., Boy, uh, and you're right. The, the the world is in a whirl, isn't it? it? And it has been for a while, but it's it's even cranking up. Um, you're right that all of this, I think, is in a piece. We're in agreement about that. And the Democrats, if you look at superficial behavior, do look like they're afraid. But I think that that framing might give them too much credit. Um, for example, just to take a small thing, you said that MSNBC is not the Democratic Party, but they often act like they right, are, at right. least associated. MSNBC is not Comcast, literally. Uh, they, they don't express, they don't get phone calls from the Com- Comcast CEO suite, but many times MSNBC acts like they're aligned with Comcast's interests as well. So the which, question which, is, just to be clear, which owns uh, now owns MSNBC? Correct. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So the question is, why is it that, uh, going back to Shirley Sherrod, and uh, you uh, didn't mention Van Jones, but that's Mm -hmm. another one, Mm -hmm. uh, why do these things happen? Why is it, for example, that two-thirds of the Democratic senators voted in favor of Mike Pompeo for head of CIA, even though he's uh, a pro-torture, blatantly pro-torture, why is it that uh, the judge that just ruled in favor of Trump against the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau uh, kerfluffle that's going on, that judge was just within a month prior to that uh, uh, judgment that he made, was passed through the Senate with very, very few Democrats opposing him. He got 90 to something Mm -hmm. uh, on his approval. Why is it that Democrats seem to be one foot in the Republican camp and afraid to be too much in opposition and one foot in the Democratic camp and not so fully pro-democratic values as we want them to be and i would argue that it's not fear it's not we're not dealing with cowards here we're dealing with people who are in some sense kind of compromised by their own values and their own values are putting them in this position where they can't please anybody and so they try to split the baby down the middle mm-hmm. and sometimes as as um uh, Griffin, was it Griffin, right, that said that? Phil Griffin, uh, president of MSNBC. Uh, MSNBC. Yeah. So sometimes we get it wrong. Well, what get it wrong means is he's trying to say we get it wrong morally, but what he really means is something that you said or alluded to, that he gets it wrong in terms of I've got a, I've got a network that's, that's going to the bank every day on anti-Trump, anti-Russia, seeming to be the progressive solution to Trump and Russia. And uh, if I lose my viewers, I'm, I'm, I've, I've sort of cut off my nose to spite my face. That's, I don't think it's fear. I think that's caught where you're trying to serve two masters, and they really are trying to serve the other master as well. And they're always going to get caught that way because they're not a Sanders-type party they're a Clinton-Obama-type party. That would be my take, anyway. And, and I think that's a 
fair take, but when you uh, you had uh, referred to uh, Van Jones, he was uh, originally very early in the Obama administration. He was the White House uh, green jobs advisor. I think that was was that the role. Yes, does? yes, he was the yeah. green jobs czar, and, which is a whole other thing. And he was fired, uh, frankly, out of fear of these fake reports by Glenn Beck at the time. Uh, that's an old story. Also, the the defunding of the progressive community group Acorn after James O'Keefe and Breitbart had published fake videos about them. And then you have, uh, you know, Al Franken today and all of his colleagues turning on him. I think it would be hard to uh, to make the case. And Des, I love your thoughts here on this as well, because I think it's hard to make the case that Al Franken is dropping out, is is resigning because he is somehow a part of the uh, the, the corporate de- he may be part of the corporate Democrats but that he would uh, take this move because of that that his fellow uh, senators would make take this move because of that as opposed to fear of oh no what are the right wingers going to say about me well I would happen to I, I think you're I, I agree with you on that one that Al Franken didn't resign because of fear of what the right wingers would say about the Democratic Party if they didn't but it does seem to be to me to be a, a factor of the Democratic senators in the Democratic Party afraid of what the public will say and performing this for the public in other words saying see we're holding ourselves to a higher standard so remember this and vote for us instead of waiting until the actual ethics investigation finds out what's true, what's not, and if it actually rises to the level of requiring that he resign. And and that's what uh, I saw somebody tweet today. Uh, new allegations of sexual misconduct to be reported by right-wingers, uh, fake news purveyors, James O'Keefe in three, two, one. There will be more coming. And, uh, Gaius, I, I think, uh, surely you agree that fear of those attacks plays at least some part in uh, in this continuing behavior by the democrats oh yeah i, I, I obviously it, it, what i'm looking what i'm trying to look at is what's behind that fear is all mm. but you're right that the democrats will never play hardball i mean they won't play hardball in the way that sanders played hardball with the democratic party for example during mm-hmm. the primary campaign mm-hmm. uh, where we all witnessed that they, that he consistently put the democratic party um, on the on the hook for, uh, in essence, to to borrow from uh, across the pond for the many, not the few, and challenge them to say we're for the many, not the few, and the the Democratic Party policymakers kept hedging that. They hedged it in the in the um, in the platform committee. They hedged it kind of all the way through, mm-hmm. and there's just that. I mean, if if President Obama can say I'm a moderate Reagan Republican. And he, and he said that, if I recall right. We can kind of take them at their word, and there's this, they're to the left of the, of the Republicans, that's correct, but there's, there's kind of a, a, a D.C. consensus, not just internationally, a Washington consensus, but nationally about what policy ought to be, mm-hmm. and they play ball with the Republicans to try to find this wonderful middle ground that will be acceptable to the donors that finance all political campaigns or most political campaigns in this country, and they're they're kind of emotionally um, it, it, 
it's very difficult for them emotionally to be strongly in opposition to Republicans, except on certain issues, and, and I'll give them that, that. On some issues, they are strongly in opposition, but not on issues, not on a broad range of issues. And there's just a kind of a culture in D.C. where you, you're, you're right to point out that Democrats are kind of afraid of what Republicans will say about them, Republican senators, Republican mm-hmm. newscasters, uh, Republican voters for some for some odd reason. And I think we need to look beneath the reasons and say we would like a Democratic Party that stood for policy, and if they stood for policy, they would be more the, the mad dogs that we want them to be in the fight against the mad dog Republicans, and they're not those mad dogs. And let me, uh, I want to talk about policy uh, and, and your story, but Des, I know you had a quick thought you wanted yeah, to just, share just as well on this. You, yeah. you both had brought up James O'Keefe and his deceptively edited videos that he has brought out frequently to bring down people unjustly. What The thing that gets me about this is that O'Keefe now knows that he can get other Democrats and that these Democrats themselves will kick these politicians out without doing an investigation first to see if it's even true. The Democrats have already established their framework. We will not wait until we get an investigation to find out if it's worth. We will not wait. We will not fight. And Absolutely. It, and, and, you know, yeah. Desi, I agree with all of that. I'm, I, I want that mad dog Democratic Party to say, for, for example, I saw somebody on Twitter say about Franken, you know, he, he, should, he should say, I'm going to go for re-election and let the voters decide if they want me in, yeah. just like Roy Moore does. And when Roy Moore drops out, I will drop out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's the way you play hardball with these people. My frustration is the same as your frustration. I think my analysis is just a little different as to causes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we both agree they're coward, cowardly. The reason is, why are they so cowardly? So in, in a related matter here, guys, what we had originally hoped to talk to you about on the, on the heels of the GOP's uh, huge tax cuts for the rich paid for by tax increases on the middle class uh, that Republicans are hoping to ram through uh, for final passage in both houses of Congress before the end of the year. Over a down with tyranny this week, you argue that, quote, just as they did in the 1980s, Republicans are laying a deficit trap for Democrats. And just as they did in the 1980s, Democrats appear to be falling for it again. Please explain, Mr. Publius. Well, the the trap itself should be obvious. It's it's what Reagan did, and it's what uh, Bush did, and it's what um, is going to happen in front of us to an even greater degree. They're going to blow up the deficit, meaning get it to be very, 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 very large, and then put it on the Democrats to be the responsible parent that says, now we have to trim government to the bone, meaning cut social programs, including Social Security, even mm-hmm. though it's self-funded. Social Security is going to come in. Uh, as a late stage triage effort they're going to they're going to go after social security as well and uh democrats are going to say yes we agree that deficits are bad therefore we will do the right thing even if you republicans won't do the right thing and very much like uh al franken saying we will do the right thing even though what he perceives to be the right thing or mm-hmm. the public perceives to be the right thing even though you Dem- uh, republicans won't do the right thing rather than uh, selling and, and the case yeah it's a trap that they're willing to walk into because they essentially agree with Republicans that deficits are bad and social social programs really do need to be trimmed, not to the degree that Republicans want them trimmed, but big donors in both parties want them trimmed. And keep in mind, 
Pete Peterson holds these councils every year that, that say, cut, 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 and one of his, his prime speakers for years was Bill Clinton. But doesn't uh, the national debt have to be paid off at some point somehow, Gaius Publius? Absolutely not. And uh, I hope that's a rhetorical question, but even if it wasn't, the answer is no. What, it's a, really it's go- a softball question, Gaius. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you T- take much. it away. Uh, over the fences it goes, and on to Waveland Avenue, says this <laughs> Cubs fan. Um, so what really happens when government, most people are led to believe deliberately that government has to collect taxes in order to spend money. That's exactly wrong. Government has to spend money first, or nobody has money in their pocket. Every dollar in the economy uh, that government spends ends up in the economy as money that we can pass around. And taxes do other things than, than make government uh, flush with money that they can spend. Taxes, for example, when government spends money, it increases the money supply. And if that money supply needs to be adjusted and brought down, taxes is the way to do it. Think of, of money as the public is on one side of a teeter-totter and government's on the other side of a teeter-totter. Every time government runs a deficit, everybody on the other side of that teeter-totter has money in their pocket. Mm-hmm. If it's too much, the, money, the government takes that money back in terms mm-hmm. of taxes. Um, the other thing that, that taxes do is legitimize the currency. Every sovereign nation, uh, currency can pop up in a whole lot of ways. We could have... Uh, coupons at, at Trader Joe's be, be currency and be traded around. The way every government legitimizes currency, it says, it says is, I'm going to tax my citizens, and the only way you can pay me your back, your, pay back your tax obligation is in U.S. dollars. Instantly, the scramble is on for U.S. dollars and not Trader Joe's uh, uh, coupons. Mm-hmm. So that's what uh, what taxes do. They legitimize the currency. They also taxes perform social functions. Taxes withdraw money from some elements of the economy and allow other elements of the economy to have money. So, for example, if we had a social goal that said we want uh, mortgage owners um, to be able to have more money, we would have a tax policy that doesn't tax mortgage uh, interest but does tax other things. If we had a tax policy that says we don't want people worth $10 billion running the government, we would have a wealth tax that says all money that is, uh, is, is possessed above $1 billion, when, it, when it's passed on to the next generation, has to pass through a 50% tax. And the purpose of that isn't to fund government spending. The purpose of that is to control the economy and to control uh, the political economy so that certain social goods are performed and other social ills are avoided. That's what taxes do. The fact is, uh, Brad, that everybody in D.C. knows this. They know that deficits don't matter because anytime they want a trillion dollar something for them, mm-hmm. let's say the Iraq war, they just write the checks to do it. And they know there's no problem with that. They've called that a social good, defending the nation against Saddam Hussein. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there, you don't get a blink of an eye from a Republican or a Democrat. You don't get a blink of an eye from the, the, 
the public either, yeah. unless uh, all of a sudden bad things happen in terms of um, inflation. But we're being trained to think of uh, deficits as bad, and the public is genuinely afraid of that because of the training we've been getting. But people in D.C., they know the dirty little secret, and they're playing the P- Peterson game of pretending that deficits are bad, but only when the public wants something that government doesn't want to give them, uh, like free medical care or, or colleges. Right, uh, and I would actually uh, take the argument back Back to where we were before, I would argue that the Democrats may know that, but they are afraid. They don't know how to respond to that. They don't know how to uh, to make the affirmative case that you know when 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 Republicans talk about government spending and cutting government spending, what they're talking about is cutting government services, cutting social services, uh, and yet they use that. They allow the Republicans, I think, to own that argument. And uh, to, to be fair. Uh, uh, Gaius, you know, Dems do increase deficits for war spending, but in recent years, you know, for example, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, they take pains to, unlike the Republican Party, to actually pay for their top legislative uh, uh, priorities. Democrats do it on those things, but then when it comes to war and defense um, and whatever the Republicans want, uh, you know, they, they seem to forget about it and deficit spending um, it is just fine for those things. Guys, I am I have to apologize. I'm running short here on time because of all of this other stuff uh, today. I, I want to have you back, obviously, in the future to talk about all of this and more. I think we'll have a lot of opportunities to talk about how scared the Democrats are or aren't about various things. Um, but I want to po- point folks towards your piece uh, over at downwithtyranny.com, uh, headlined, Deficit Talk is a Trap. Will Democrats fall into it? And uh, we can fight about why they will fall into it, uh, no doubt, uh, at a day in the future, guys. Hopefully we can noodle out why they fall into it as well. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot to... <sighs> there's a lot to unpack here. Yes, there is. <laughs> oh, gosh, and yes. there will be for and, a while. And, and big sigh from all of us, of course. Yes. Yeah. Gaius Publius, uh, check him out, downwithtyranny.com. You can see all his work at all of his places at gaiuspublius.tumblr.com and on the Twitters at Gaius underscore Publius. Thanks again, Gaius. My pleasure, but thanks a lot, Brad. You bet. All right, got to take a quick break. We'll come back with Green News Report. But as I've been uh, speaking with Gaius here, uh, well, this sort of underscores what we've been talking about. It looks like both the House and Senate have uh, agreed to extend to avoid a government shutdown that might have happened this week for a government spending bill. They've agreed to extend the deadline until December 22nd for now. Um, The two-week spending bill also makes money available to several states that are running out of funds for the Children's Health Insurance Program. That's good. Uh, But scrolling down here, I see that the... um, that the, the White House had said uh, after a meeting with Democrats that uh, the that they all agreed that they would lift the spending caps that were put in place last time there was a budget showdown. They've agreed to lift the spending caps on defense, but they have not yet reached an agreement on non-defense spending. So... You know, there's another one of those traps. The Republicans have been saying that uh, Democrats are refusing to to, to serve our, our military and to keep us safe. And uh, they're keeping all of these veterans hanging. 
This is something that they have been uh, using for several weeks now to try to harangue the Democrats into lifting these uh, lifting these caps. Uh, so once again, uh, the Democrats seem to be agreeing, caving to what the Republicans want, which is lift the uh, defense spending even before there's been any agreement on, you know, social services, Medicare, Medicaid, Social, social Security, Security, everything else. Health insurance for children. That comes last, and the Democrats have either fallen for it again or, uh, as Gaia seems to suggest, uh, maybe this is how they prefer it. Maybe that's what Democrats actually want. All right, quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, thanks for uh, staying with us today. Uh, by the way, once again, for those folks who have written in to ask, we are fine. We are doing fine. We yes. are out here in Hollywood. No a uh, little bit of smoke, but no fire. Luckily, uh, as so far, as, far yeah. as long as nobody does anything stupid. <laughs> right, yeah, that <laughs> like could start change a fire at outside. a moment's notice yeah. uh, with the winds that we have here today. But much more on that in our latest Green News Report. Raging wildfire continues to burn in the heart of Los Angeles. Southern California wildfires continue to rage out of control. Interior Secretary proposes shrinking even more national monuments. New study warns even more public lands at risk due to fossil fuel exploitation. Plus, good news for renewable energy, it's now cheaper than both coal and nuclear plants. All of that good and not-so-good news straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Joyner. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Trump signed an order slashing the size of Bears Ears and Grand Staircase National Monuments. Yes, I can understand. Oh, hey, come on. It's reasonable that he doesn't care about them. They're just national monuments. They're not Confederate monuments. Oh, man. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, as you reported in our previous Green News Report, the Navajo Nation and other American Indian tribes are suing the Trump administration over slashing the size of those national monuments and now... Outdoor recreation company Patagonia has announced that they, too, will sue, calling his reduction of the size of bears' ears by 85 percent an extreme overreach in authority. The company also put a full-page banner on the front of their website, The President Stole Your Land, and Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke says that uh, that advertisement 
was shameful. Well, it looks like it's a very unpopular move that Trump has made. And more on that in just a minute. First off, though, California's most destructive fire season on record has just gotten worse. Just weeks after deadly wildfires in wine country in northern California, down here in southern California, multiple wind-driven wildfires exploded across the region this week. As we go to air, four major active fires are seriously straining the region's emergency resources. In total, the fires have destroyed more than 300 structures, forced the evacuations of nearly 200,000 people, shut down hundreds of schools and major freeway arteries, and enveloped the Los Angeles region in smoke. Thankfully, no deaths or major injuries have been reported. The largest and most destructive fire has hit the historic beach city of Ventura, California, burning 80 square miles, covering a football field every few seconds. In a press conference on Wednesday, Los Angeles County Fire Chief Daryl Osby told residents in woodland areas to be prepared to leave at a moment's notice. It's critically important if there's an incident in your area that you evacuate early. We're expecting wind gusts in some areas up to 80 miles per hour. If you see something, don't wait for the evacuation order. Leave. No official word yet on the causes of any of these fires. A multi-day Santa Ana wind event, the worst of the year, has created what the National Weather Service called, quote, a recipe for explosive fire growth. The state of California uses a color-coded wind map, and the most extreme wind is purple. They have never used that before. They are using that today. The region has had no meaningful precipitation since March. Because of global warming, California's winters are increasingly warmer and drier, and winter wildfires are increasing in frequency. Now fire season extends all year round. Meanwhile, in the wake of President Trump's slashing the size of two iconic national monuments to allow mining and drilling, Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke has now released a draft proposal for shrinking even more of America's protected national monuments, focusing on Cascade Siskiyou in Oregon and Gold Butte in Nevada. Zinke also proposed management changes for six more. That's code for allowing drilling, logging, and mining. I can think of somewhere else I'd like to see some management changes. In a statement, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon noted that national monuments generate millions in tourism for local economies, saying, quote, Donald Trump's rollback harms rural economic progress and job creation. And also, very disturbingly, Zinke proposes opening up vast marine ocean reserves to industrial-scale commercial fishing, areas specifically set aside to rebuild depleted fisheries, crucial for sustaining the nation's seafood supply. And now a new report this week calculates just how much of the American public's land may be at risk of destruction from the Trump administration because they sit atop fossil fuels. In a first-ever comprehensive analysis, Greenpeace found that more than 120 million acres of federally protected lands larger than the state of California contain or overlap fossil fuel reserves and could be next on the chopping block as Trump reshapes American land policy to benefit the fossil fuel industry. Finally, though, some good news for renewable energy. A new study finds the cost of new wind and solar projects is cheaper now than running existing coal and nuclear plants for electricity. The researchers project that as utility-scale battery storage comes online, renewables will outpace natural gas as well. Of course they will, as those folks who give a damn have been saying for many years. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to today, Check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters 
at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. Well, it used to be our land. Yeah, well, you know, elections have consequences. Um, they do. Yeah, I had a quick uh, follow-up yeah. to uh, Ryan Zinke, you know, the Interior Secretary's proposals to sh- shrink two more national monuments mm-hmm. and change the management for ten more. Yeah. Well, it turns out he is also recommending protections for public lands in his own home state. Prote- he's recommending protections for pu- adding Pro- protections? Adding national monuments while he's trying to take it away from other states like Utah. He wants Montana to get a new 130,000-acre national monument in what's called the Badger II Medicine Area of northwestern Montana. And the uh, Center for Western Priorities uh, suggests that what's going on here is that he wants uh, Montana to get special treatment because he wants to be governor there someday. Uh, and Montanans are very supportive of their public lands and uh, do not like the idea of cutting any national monuments. Right. None for you, but uh, all for me. If I'm going to be governor, yeah. One more breaking news story before we get out. Uh, It looks like, uh, well, all we have is the headlines here at this moment from Associated Press. But they are saying that the House first they said the House Ethics Committee says it is investigating whether Arizona's Republican Congress member Trent Franks engaged in sexual harassment. Oh, my. And uh, minutes later, GOP Rep. Trent Franks is resigning after ethics inquiry into his discussion of surrogacy with female staffers. Not even sure I know what that means. There's no story yet. Just the uh, just the headline at this point um, from AP surrogacy with female staffers any um, I, I think he means Des? what he's talking about perhaps is uh, maybe using somebody as a surrogate to have a baby for him and his wife but if there's supposed to be some sexual context to that maybe he was jokingly suggesting surrogacy and hey I'll help you out here if you oh, help boy. me I guess creepy well we will have more no doubt on our next thrilling broadcast until then my thanks to our producer desi doyan to gaius publius of downwithtyranny.com and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us it's always greatly appreciated you can drop me email if you like on anything we talked about today or anything else at bradcast at bradblog.com Uh, You can find, follow, and share our work on uh, the Twitters and the Facebooks at TheBradBlog. And my huge thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do as long as we can right here on your public airwaves. That's it, bradblog.com slash donate. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 